Hello, it's a brand new episode of The Sleep Mums, the award-winning parenting podcast that helps put you and your baby to sleep, like a couch snooze on a rainy day. I'm Kat Cuby, broadcaster, journalist, and FYI, I've just had a baby, so I've got eye bags for days and nights. And this is Sarah Carpenter, sleep consultant, baby and child expert, and the legend who can help you look fresher than any skincare. I mean, you're like the Estee Lauder of sleep, right? <laughs> I could do with some of that Estee Lauder of sleep for myself this morning, and I don't have the excuse of just having a baby. <laughs> Today, there's two in the bed on this podcast, but often as parents, you find there's three, four, five, or more. And usually it's the littlest one calling the shots and hugging the duvet. Research suggests that co-sleeping, or its bed buddy, close sleeping, have become more popular in recent years. But honestly, I just think we're talking about it more because for a really long time, it was frowned upon. I mean, since the dawn of time, parents have wanted to sleep close to their babies until they really don't. (laughs) Like all things parenting, there are a lot of opinions about co-sleeping from those who swore they'd never do it to those who question those who don't. As you know, we're judgment but not caffeine free here on The Sleep Mums. So we wanted to chat through the reasons to do it, those not to, how to do it safely and what to do when you're ready to switch it up. First of all, let's talk about co-sleeping and what I call close sleeping. I don't know if I've actually made that phrase up. If so, I'm going to bank it. Have I made that up? No, I don't think you've made it up. <laughs> lots of like contact, contact sleeping, close sleeping, close sleeping. Okay. Okay, I th- I, th- I was going to like bag Zia. <laughs> so co-sleeping and close sleeping, which is basically a fancy name for the cots that kind of sidecar onto the side of the bed. So Sarah, talk me through co-sleeping and what it could look like. So it can look like whatever you want it to look like, to be honest. You know, co-sleeping can very much just be, as we've said, co-sleeping, close sleeping, contact sleeping, contact napping. It can be you, your baby, in a bed it can be you your partner your baby in a bed it can be you your partner and however many children you've got in a bed there (laughs) are no rules around how you do it or what you're comfortable with but that's the key thing it's your comfort you know personally for me I couldn't have co-slept because I knew that I would never sleep I would have been that mum that was just up watching the baby worried that I was going to roll on him car etc etc so it wasn't it wasn't for me but I know and have still have a lot of clients who do love co-sleeping and it's certainly not something that should be discouraged if you want to do it it's just something to think about doing safely and I mean obviously the kind of close sleeping idea we are all um recommended to do from birth essentially for the first six months you have baby in your room and these sort of sidecar cots have become really popular like most people I know use you choose to get those rather than kind of a Moses basket or something. Um, that's not to say everyone, but a lot of people like them for ease. And so they kind of fit either to the side of your bed with the sides up or a side kind of comes down, which gives you easy access, but means you're not going to roll on or, or have that fear of rolling onto baby. But, you know, close sleeping could also mean, you know, babies in, it, just in a cot in your room or a bed in your room if they're a bit older Or it might also mean starting out the night in separate beds and then a child or children coming through, which 
I think <laughs> happens to a lot of parents who might not necessarily say that they're co-sleeping because it sort of feels like if you go to bed and it's not happening, it's not a thing. But I think that's also why we don't talk about it as much or maybe it's just people still feel that they can't talk about it. I think there's definitely more of a stigma around the older children that come through or the older children that start in the bed. Um, so people probably are more likely to talk about co-sleeping with their babies or, like you say, start the night with the baby in the cot and then bring the baby into bed with them throughout the night, whether that's after a feed or just after a wake up to settle them. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think that people talk about that more than the fact that they have children. My guys, you know, often they will rotate. So at the moment with Harry's birthday approaching, he knows it's his turn to be in my bed next week. And I have no issue with that. You know, he's he's going to be 10. But if he needs that extra comfort every now and again, that's fine. It's not an every night thing. It's usually when something's bothering him. So you're meeting their needs by giving them that closeness, especially as you're now finding out, you know, spreading yourself between three children. It's pretty tough at times. And for him being the slightly older one, he can stay up a wee bit later, have a chat with me and fall asleep next to me. And he's, he's had some mummy time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, though, that you said that you wouldn't have been able to do it when they were little. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think personality comes into play a bit with this as well, because with particularly with the older ones, because actually I would love to do that with my daughter and she struggles to fall asleep. But because her brain is so busy, she just she if I'm there, she just asks me a bunch of questions. And so it's almost like she can't settle co-sleeping. I'm like, I would love to just lie there and stroke her head, but it just doesn't work like no. that. That's potentially maybe a little bit of a girl thing, because I can't imagine Emily just chilling out and going to sleep next to me. She would find all sorts of imaginative conversations to come up with right on bedtime. So whereas Harry does just switch off. Oh. Our thoughts about sleep and how and where to do it have so much to do with where we live. Clearly, in some cultures, there is only co-sleeping and also really depends on, you know, the size of the place that you live in. So the thought of actually not doing it would be considered strange. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the whole idea in um, some countries where they encourage, actively encourage the mum and baby to co-sleep for the first few weeks and not even leave the room. So it's not even just co-sleeping, it's 24-7 attachment in the bed all the time. So, and that is, you, you would be frowned upon if you didn't do that. I was thinking about that, obviously, have, having a wee baby. Mm-hmm. Actually, that is sort of the only way you can sleep when the baby sleeps. Yeah. I think. Definitely. If you do it like that. Yeah. Aside from the totally understandable reason that parents want to be close to their baby there are lots of reasons to co-sleep but I think whilst we're here it's also important that we chat through some of the reasons that you might not want to. Firstly reasons that you'd want to are biological. When you sleep with or very close to your baby it's sort of like there is an invisible string connecting you a bit like that gorgeous book that lots of parents love the babies outsource some of their physiological responses to you which is like the total voodoo of the parent-child relationship so your heart rates brainwaves sleep states oxygen levels and even things like temperature and breathing influence each other meaning that if anything stops working quite as well as it should that connection acts like one of those pull in emergency cords 
But this is why it's recommended that baby sleeps in the same room as you for the first six months or so whilst they're still getting used to their bodies. Um, So that's a big reason, I guess. But what are the other reasons you might choose to co-sleep or close sleep, Sarah? So the sort of main ones are, for a lot of people, it makes the bedtimes a lot easier. Um, So there's fewer bad habits in place um, and it feels like there's less hassle getting to bed. The feeding during the night, if you're breastfeeding, can be easier if you're co-sleeping because you're just right there for your baby. A lot of the time people who are co-sleeping say that they couldn't even tell you how many times a baby's fed because they are half asleep and baby's just latching on and off. Changing nappies for some people can feel easier if you're co-sleeping as well, but not for everybody. If you end up with a little um, accident in the night where the pee goes all over the bed, then that's certainly not going to make it easier. And yet you have to turn a light on somewhere, so whether it's in your room or... Yeah, in another room to. exactly I don't, um, unless you're a total like ninja <laughs> carrot eater <laughs> and can change nappies in the dark that might actually be an amazing parent skill <laughs> some people might do it with a head torch <laughs> and that is not a bad idea and then for a lot of people they feel like themselves as parents are going to get more sleep um, and obviously the baby is getting more sleep by being next to them so it's a, it's a comfort thing for both. Sleeping in the same room as the baby does reduce the risk of SIDS, um, which is why it's recommended for the first six months. But that's just sleeping in the same room. It doesn't necessarily have to be co-sleeping. And I think in some way, a lot of the advantages come from close sleeping yeah. as well. Absolutely. But, but, you know, a lot of the things you've mentioned. Don't need to be co-sleeping, no. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, a final cheesy reason might be there's nothing quite like waking up next to your gorgeous smiling baby. <laughs> it never happens like that. No. They're normally screaming in your face, right? <laughs> um, so that's reasons to do it. What about some reasons not to do it? Like, whilst I've always liked the idea of it, feeling confident in its safety has always been a really big worry for me to to be honest, despite it making you more in tune with your baby, you know, we've talked about those biological reasons that would that sort of make you think it, it's safe, but still it scares me a lot. And I don't think that I have ever, whilst I have done it more with the boys, as I said, like with, with Indy, I just couldn't. But I don't think I've, I've ever actually got into a, a settled sleep because of that, because I'm worried, like not with close sleeping because we do that but I mean actually having them in the bed yeah yeah no I totally agree as I've said you know for me it wasn't something I felt I could do when they were babies and from a safety point of view I just didn't feel comfortable and so in turn that would mean that I wasn't getting any sleep if I'd chosen to do it so that's obviously a big one and the other sort of common um, reason that I get a lot of people contacting me is because you know they've been maybe co-sleeping when they're babies and they're happy at that point they're exhausted they may be recovering from labor and they're happy at that point to go to bed at you know maybe nine o'clock ten o'clock when the baby's going to bed but then they realize as they sort of recover they and as the baby's routine changes they don't want to be going to bed at seven o'clock and staying in bed all night as an adult you know they do actually want their evenings back that's so that's the place that I'm at just now yeah, so that can be a bit of an issue. As in, I'm um, quite happy going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you're not ready for the evenings back no, yet. No, no. and that's totally fine, and it's great when you're in that phase, but you know yourself it's not going to last forever. So um, at some point you are going to want to change that. And then obviously the other sort of potential inconveniences are that, as we've said, 
you know, feeding can be really convenient, but it can also become a little bit inconvenient because you don't know how many feeds they've had or it's on tap. So if you're trying to establish a routine, um, you suddenly realise that actually establishing a feeding routine can become quite hard. And when you write things down, you can realise that babies actually feeding multiple times overnight and they're not feeding as much during the day because they flipped night and day. I've actually, I mean, even just now, like last night, for example, when I was up the sort of second wake up of the night and I was exhausted and I just wanted to lie down and do the lying down feed and I've never been able to do that I don't know if I've got weird shaped body (laughs) or like maybe just because of having tongue-tied babies and so latch has been so important but I've never been able to do the lying down feeds Mm -hmm. with until they've been older like until they're 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 stronger and they've got a better latch Mm -hmm. and so I've always found a that I can't do it but also when even when they're older and have been able to do it that you then you're not winding them properly yeah definitely so it can, it can just have that knock-on effect to a much longer night more feeds more unsettledness when actually originally you maybe were getting more settledness it can switch on you mm-hmm. and become a bit more disruptive for everyone but I suppose it depends if your comfort if your comfort feeding or Mm-hmm. or feeding feeding because if it's sort of comfort they might not actually be taking much and not needing to to wind and if that's working for you then it's that's fine yeah. working for you so obviously there are safe practices you need to be aware of and they'll vary depending on how you're co-sleeping and we will come on to those but for a lot of parents worrying about its safety can be one of the main reasons I guess not to particularly if the goal is to help you all get more sleep. Um, There has actually been some research, I feel like we've spoken about this in another podcast, that suggests that parents and babies who share a room between about five or six months and nine months, or maybe it's four and nine months, um, but anyway, they, they don't sleep quite as soundly when they're sharing a room, but there's a feeling that that's maybe for a kind of biological reason, that so that but you maybe feel like you do because you're not worrying about them in a different way. I don't know. I, mean, I, I think that's one we study and there's so much research out there. And clearly I'm not, can't even remember the exact details of it. But but I do think that's a valid point though. You know, for a lot of people, the transition into their own room, like when they're transitioning the baby into their own room, can then cause them massively disrupted sleep when they feel like they've actually been getting quite good consistent sleep. Yeah. So it does, yeah. it, it is a knock-on effect in that respect. As a parent, you may find that the first few nights of them being away from you are really, really hard for you. Yeah. And also, like we've spoken about, babies are can be really noisy sleepers mm-hmm. in terms of sharing co-sleeping or close sleeping that can be, you know, quite disturbing for everyone. Or parents can be noisy sleepers disturbing their babies definitely I think that's a big thing and it's not necessarily that parents are noisy all the time you know I'll speak to a lot of people and I'll say that you know do you feel like you're disrupting your baby like no no we're really quiet and especially if I've got a camera and they're still sharing a room like okay so your version of quiet and my version of quiet was very, very different. Yeah. You know, you were snoring between one and three and you just went away a bit. And every time you moved the covers, there was a rustle. So you can. I love it. You can resolve some of those, like, partner disputes when you're like, you were <laughs> snoring all night. And then they're like, no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> like, yeah, the cameras are great. Of course, so they can pick it up. It's a bit creepy. <laughs> 
I'm watching you. <laughs> and I guess I mentioned another reason maybe you might not want to as a child's personality. As I said, my, my daughter just can't cope with it. Um, but also talking about personality and talking about partners, it might be that one of you doesn't want to co-sleep. But no, I, th- I think that is really common as well, where, you know, it might even be something that's been discussed during the pregnancy and completely outruled and then baby comes along and one parent is really keen to do it um, and it, it can it can cause issues in that sense as well or you quickly find that one parent has then moved out of the main bedroom to allow the co-sleeping to happen but then they're ready to move back in before the parent who's been co-sleeping is ready to have them back. Yeah it's funny because like Ollie would love I think to have them in the bed with us sometimes but he's also not the one that deals with it if it's not working and also he probably does sleep more soundly anyway just full stop (laughs) yes maybe that's the (laughs) earplugs I've co-slept at various times with my kids but I think always in the back of my head when they were wee was that worry that I was going to squash them or the cover would go over their face and um, and even if these things were unlikely because I had set things up safely in those anxious hormone days you are always imagining the worst and it was that that led me to not sleep so well whilst doing it whilst I would love like there is nothing more lovely than than kind of snuggling your baby as they go off to sleep beside you but I think that anxiety would then always keep me awake Um, and it is important it's important to me I'm one of those people that needs sleep so how if you want to do it how do you keep it safe you do have to think about where you're co-sleeping and think about the position of the bed think about the sheets and blankets that you're using you know if you're co-sleeping in a bed that's against the wall you don't want the baby on the side that's against the wall in case they roll between the wall and the mattress. But then equally you have to be safe on the other side that they can't roll out of bed. So it, it is a juggle to get the the right spot for um, co-sleeping. And to be honest, it even goes, you know, not just for babies, even as they, like, maybe not like with Harry sharing your bed, but, you know, with toddlers and stuff, you've still got to think of those things. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I think especially the um, wall to bed. Yeah. Um, the, you know the mattress being up against the wall I do think that's a really worrying thing you know the the space if it's if it's big enough that they can fall straight through that's one thing but if it's small enough that, but they can still get wedged then it does yeah. become a real risk so yeah. but I don't think that's necessarily something that a lot of people do think about they're more worried about them falling out of bed on the other yeah. side so they don't necessarily think about the wall and um, I guess bedding and what, what babies can sleep in. so important for so many reasons. You don't want um, babies to over, overheat. You don't want anything that could obstruct their breathing and nothing that can be pulled over their head. So there are three really big issues, but I think the overheating thing is really, really hard to control. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get so cold at night that I go to bed and, you know, full tracksuit, electric blanket, hot water bottles... Welcome to Scotland. I know. (laughs) There have been times that I've gone to bed with a beanie on. So I could not go sleep from that point of view because literally my babies would overheat instantly. Yeah. Yeah. I have to wear socks in bed. (laughs) It's funny, my 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 best pal, she can't like it literally makes her sick the thought of wearing socks in bed. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm there with you. Like, if I could just have a full onesie, heated onesie, I think that would be mine. It's it's obviously passed on to the kids as well because Roar has sleepy socks. That's what he calls oh, them. Sleepy socks. So another quite important thing as well, which um, again I've come across a few times, is that a lot of people pre-children, if they have pets, like cats and dogs mainly, mm. um, who sleep on the bed, that is something that you really have to consider when you're co-sleeping. Like you shouldn't really have pets in the bed at all if you're choosing to co-sleep. So in yeah. turn, that causes quite a bit of um, emotional turmoil over who's not getting in the bed. You know, are we kicking yeah. the dog out that's slept on the bed for years in favour of the new baby, or do we just stop the baby sleeping in bed? So, again, something to be really aware of. And <laughs> presumably with older children as well, you know, you you have a new you add a new baby into the mix. If your toddler has been co sleeping, you have to mm -hmm. worry about that combination as well. Yeah, I think um, you know, there's a lot of situations where people will have co slept for quite a few years, have another baby, and the toddler gets demoted onto the mattress next to them um on the floor which is a sort of halfway point but it can cause issues for them you know when they, they don't really understand why they've been kicked out of the bed if they've been there for years so and invariably they will then climb back into bed overnight and not parents don't yeah. always wake up when that happens because they're so used to co-sleeping so um mm. <laughs> And there's also, I guess, you know, there's obviously big differences between babies and older children. But if, if you're co-sleeping with the baby, you know, a lot of the things that we recommend if you're close sleeping or they're in their own space, things like swaddling or how they're sleeping might be different. Yeah, I think um, even down to the sleep position, I think with the sort of swaddling and things you do, obviously, again, it comes back to the overheating. Um, but the position of sleep, you know, obviously the guidelines are there with the um, putting baby to sleep on their back. And I think a lot of people find that quite difficult when they're co-sleeping because they tend to cuddle yeah. the baby in. So baby is then automatically yeah. on their side, either facing away from the parent or facing into the parent. So yeah. again, you do have to think about the um, obstruction to the breathing that way as well. Yeah. And I guess that, you know, that's okay to fall asleep like that, but then you want to be lying them onto their back, which I guess just in turn means that you have to be more conscious throughout, which is totally, I mean, I know this works really well for some people. And as I say, I have done it more so when the kids were a wee bit older. I think like my middle, um, I've done it the most with. Even now, he likes me to lie with him, but we have a kind of timer. So he, I lie with him as he's going to sleep and then he knows that when the timer's gone off that that I go that I go so he uh, so even if he's asleep at that point he doesn't wake expecting me to be there yeah but um when I would say when he was maybe about nine months or so and we went through a kind of rough patch I think he'd been ill and we like I ended up um like more properly kind of co-sleeping with him and I loved it I loved it at that point because he felt a bit sturdier and it was in the summer and so we didn't have much bedding and things um, yeah. and and it is snuggly and lovely but I think even then there was always that sort of worry in the back of my head that I wasn't that something was going to happen so I don't think I slept as deeply that's not to say I would change it for that period of time but I couldn't have done it indefinitely Definitely. And I think, you know, obviously there's always times that you do you do use things like that. Like when Harry had his tonsils out, I co-slept with him for two weeks after he'd had his tonsils out. So you can do these things when you need to. 
and know that you've got the tools to change it back when you're ready. Yeah. So it's it's we're not saying never do it. We're not saying always do it. It's again, it's it, there will be times that it's appropriate. Times that it's not, and obviously we support. We're going to come on to that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. So in terms of safety as well, like location, because you you know we're talking about co sleeping in a bed, but really you know you have to be really careful like say you're sleeping on a sofa or a chair like those are kind of out really for for sleeping together yeah I mean if you're sort of feeding on a sofa or a chair before bed whether that's bottle or breastfeeding you do need to sort of keep yourself awake and make sure that you don't fall asleep when you're doing that which can be hard especially if you're getting up in the night um, and not feeding in bed but moving onto a sofa or a chair um, it can be hard sometimes not to fall asleep when you're feeding so you do need to be sort of aware of being awake so that baby doesn't fall asleep and roll off you and again get wedged in the couch or chair or just fall straight off onto the floor it's that horrifying thing when you know in those early days when you're feeding baby how it whether it's in a chair or uh, in bed um, and you put them back down to sleep and you fall asleep and you wake up and there's nothing in your arms and you completely freak out because you don't remember that you've mm-hmm. put them down to bed like that well. or you just find yourself sitting up awake like maybe you've never even had baby mm-hmm. in your arms and you just freak out because they're not there like those kind of like weird um half dream states that you get into I still do that now if if I've had a really long run of work I'll be back home and I'll wake up in the night looking for a baby and it's <laughs> the worst feeling yeah but you're never gonna that's never gonna stop (laughs) actually maybe it doesn't ever stop anyway maybe it doesn't yeah maybe not that's a bit like phantom poos and phantom baby crying like you know when you just are sure that they've they've done a poo you can like smell it and then there's nothing there or you can hear it and then there's nothing there or phantom baby crying you just constantly hear like whenever i'm in the shower I always am like, there's a baby crying, stop the shower, get out, no baby crying. (laughs) That is the worst. (laughs) I think in the recent past, there's been this feeling that bed sharing is unsafe. However you do it, like literally, there's no way you can do it that's safe. And that can mean that parents aren't always honest about doing it. I think, you know, it is one of those sort of like slightly, or has been anyway, one of those slightly taboo things. But like a lot of parenting things it is never such a black and white thing which brings us on to is it all or nothing Sarah I think this is a big one for people and actually also for me because I've been there do you have to co-sleep or not co-sleep absolutely not you can 100% do what feels right for you at each point in that baby's life I suppose like a lot of people will contact nap but not co-sleep at night so they'll let baby nap on them during the day and then they'll put them down into the cot at night so that's one variation of it but you could do it like we were just saying you know if baby's ill you can do it for a period of time when they're ill and then go back to what you've been doing before or you can do it initially and then stop it's a hundred percent you have to make it work for you Uh, what you're comfortable with as a family is what's going to work for a baby I think it's tended to feel like it's a bit of those like a lot of the parenting stuff that we kind of try and bust like that it's an ideology like that you are you know if you're following attachment parenting or this kind of parenting you're doing it in a particular way and I think co-sleeping is often felt like that but the reality is 
lots of parents pick and choose elements of things, either, as you say, when they need to, because um, of, of illness or a whole host of different reasons, or just because it works for them for a period of time and then it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you have to kind of buy into being part of a tribe, I suppose. Absolutely. It can even just be that people choose to go sleep when they go on holiday because it's easier, you know, yeah. rather than taking away extra yeah. paraphernalia that comes with the baby. They just choose to go sleep when they're away. So, so yeah, it, it is really, it's, it's not one size fits all. Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess, though, and we'll come on to this, why it can feel like it's all or nothing is because if you do it for a long period of time, it can then be hard to switch up. And I know that I've also been there because, you know, talking about what, what I currently do with my son, for a long time, it was that I needed to be there with him till he fell asleep. And that was, you know, it may have started off at five minutes, but it was going on to 45 minutes to an hour. And then I'm falling asleep. And then, you know, and then we sort of end up co-sleeping by default. Yeah. Which I think happens to a lot of people, and then you're like, "Oh, I don't know how to stop mm-hmm. doing this." Yeah, I do think that's quite a big thing. You know, people won't set out with the intention of cold sleeping, and then they will find that they are cold sleeping, and then they panic because they don't know how to stop cold sleeping. So, it, yeah, it can have a bit of a knock-on effect. So, as I mentioned, cold sleeping feels a bit like it's been a movement, and one that some people can feel really passionately about which can be polarizing like so many of these parenting things, but most parents mix up. They do a little bit of what works until it doesn't. So that brings us nicely to how to stop. What if you've been co-sleeping and suddenly it stops working for you, either because you and your child are getting less sleep or simply because you want your bed back or you want to give their bed back to them because also co-sleeping can mean sharing a toddler bed. So how do you get your bed back or give them back theirs? So if you're talking about a toddler or child and they've been co-sleeping in your bed, I would always start by removing yourself from your bed. So take yourself away for a couple of nights. Right. Um, Toddler or child wakes, go in, reassure them, tell them that you're close and leave again. Where are you sleeping at this point? I don't think I knew this. This is is new. You've just got (laughs) stuck for a couple of nights. You're, You're making the child feel comfortable then you're making them feel safe so you're removing one part of their safety zone right okay. you've removed yourself but you've left them the in their safe space right mm-hmm. okay yeah uh-huh. then you build up to moving them into their own room and at that point I would use a chair in the room so you know for bedtime you can sit in the chair either in the room or at the door and then you can gradually um you, you can repeat that if they wake in the night and then you can gradually remove yourself away from that and it becomes just a quick and out settle so it's really all about making the child feel safe. Do I think lot, a lot of people would put them in, like move them into their own bed and then lie with them. They would do it the other way around. Absolutely. But then you've moved the habit that you've got in the co-sleeping bed. You've just moved that into another bed. So yeah. it's, it's like another space to become dependent on you yeah. being there. If you actually remove yourself from the bed, you've already broken that habit of you being there. So that part of the process is done before you've actually moved them out of their room. Yeah. Not always practical because if there really is nowhere else for you to go, then obviously you can't do that. Um, In which case you would just move them into their room and you would start with the chair in their room. But really do try and avoid getting into their bed with them if that's not something that you've done previously. 
if it's a baby and they're in a cot, I would always recommend that you start with naps. So start putting them down for their morning nap in their cot and make the cot become the new safe place. Obviously use very hands-on settling techniques so that they know that you're still there. You can comfort them for the duration of the naps and then move on to nighttime. My recommendation would be to do it all in 24 hours. But for some people, they want to take it slower than that and just do nap, morning nap for a few days, morning and lunch nap for a few days, and then build up to doing it overnight. So it really is what you're comfortable with. I think often for with babies, it's as much about the parents feeling the distance as the babies doing. The babies, Definitely. like our experience, I'm sure your experience with clients, um, but also our experience with Sleep Club is that it's actually something that parents need to build up to and mm-hmm. feel comfortable with and most of the time and that was certainly my experience with my own kids in terms of doing things that felt like a big deal is they just completely rode it out they were like yeah I'm cool with this and I was the one sobbing in the corner <laughs> yeah no that's so true a lot of the time in our heads as parents that like, we build it up to be something it's not and then we do it and it's like oh well actually that was really easy and they've taken it in their stride and that's the main thing so you're making that all sound quite easy and I don't I think there's probably a lot of people listening who don't feel that it is particularly if you've got a really you know you've been doing it for a long time what would your advice be in those circumstances? I would be very clear on the fact that it's not easy in any situation and it is going to take time so for example um, a little one that I've been working with who is four and at my timeline was three months to get him fully right, out okay. of mum and dad's bed. So you're not doing it overnight. You know, it's not going to happen quickly. This particular little one responded really well to going into his own room. So it was five days of being in mum and dad's bed without them. And then he did move into his own room. But he is still waking frequently, looking for them. So they are still in a position yeah. six weeks down the line where they are going in and comforting him and then leaving the room. So it is, you know, I'm very, very clear with people that this is not something that is going to change overnight. And if you think about it, you know, if there's something that you've had that's been a real comfort to you, you don't give it up easily. You know, whatever that might be, you don't, whether it is just a mattress that you've had for a long time. Yeah, no, totally. Like you go away on holiday and you're like, it's not my bed. Exactly. So, So you've got to really try and think how you would react to your safe spaces being turned upside down and that's what it is you know that for children their beds and cots should really be a real safe zone for them where they do get comfort and they feel comfortable and they can fully switch off and rest so if you change that you have to go with you know a slow approach and a supportive approach until they are super duper comfortable and it's lots and lots of praise and encouragement and obviously from a baby's point of view you're not necessarily giving them masses of praise and encouragement but you're still doing it through changing your voice using comforting tones um, in the morning being really enthusiastic so you are and having that hands-on comfort overnight or um, at bedtimes but certainly for children and toddlers it's so important even if you've had a shocker and you feel like you've been sitting on that chair more than you've been in your own bed pinpoint the one time that they didn't shout on you or they did go back to sleep really quickly and focus on that and that will build their safety build their want to make you happy and actually stay in their own bed quietly oh but that's so hard when you're exhausted oh it's horrific it's important virtually impossible but it's so important and you will see 
massive progress when you can reassure them. I'm going to segue a wee bit from co-sleeping, but you just made me think of something like last year. So my daughter's six, she really, really wanted bunk beds. Um, and we thought that's a great idea. You know, she has siblings that, that, that'll make sense in the future. Um, and she was desperate for them. Um, so she got them for Christmas. And I would say for three months after that, so we moved her uh, her brother into the toddler bed, I think was how it worked. And for sort of three months after that, she was just, she was like, I want, I want my toddler bed back. She was massive. She didn't fit in it, but she was like, I want my toddler bed back. I don't want these bunk beds. And I'm sitting there going, these were really expensive and you wanted them. And I was, I don't think I probably did praise her enough. I was probably a bit grumpy about the fact that she'd wanted this. And now she was moaning about wanting the thing that she'd had before, which is actually probably a wee bit unfair of me. Cause as you're saying, that was her, her safe space. And also, I think when you do pass it on to another child, there's a, obviously a bit of like envy there. It's still there. They can still see it. Definitely. I think that's really hard. I mean, my three bed hop all the time. They've got, they have a bed each, but I can never guarantee which one's going to go to bed and which bed because, you know, there's, there is the option for, well, there's actually the option for three of them to sleep in one room and two of them to sleep in another room. So they really can mix it up and they do regularly. And actually, for me, I have no issue with that because we do go away for a bit and stay at friends' houses and things. So it does mean that they're pretty flexible around different beds and things. So I've never had an issue when beds have changed in that respect because it's something yeah. that they're kind of yeah. controlling themselves. But it can be, you know, that change. Children can really believe that they want something or if they've seen a friend with it, they can really believe that they're ready for it. And, and then you make the change and, yeah, it all goes a little bit tits up. And it's just persevering through that to reassure them because, you know, in that situation, yes, and they could still see the toddler bed, but actually the reality could have been that the toddler bed could have been at the dump and, you know, there was no option to get it back. So, so yeah, it's all about the sort of reassurance and persevering through the transition. I think lots of people will find that useful whether they co-sleep or not because there are loads of circumstances that you would use the same advice. And I guess it's, like everything too, that consistency and committing to something once you decide it's the right thing for you, but also not beating yourself up about it if there are some times where you, you need you go back to what you're doing. But if you are if you really want them mm-hmm. to be in their own bed, you need to commit to it for a long period of a good period of time to make that transition first. Otherwise it's just confusing. Definitely. Every week we have one of your questions, our listener questions. These are really important to us and we know they're important to you as well because they put our advice to practice in a real world setting because, you know, you can read about how to do something, but in actuality, when you try and do it, it never quite works out like that. So often it's really helpful to have someone saying, what do I do when? And we can say, well, you could do this. So this week we have a question from Tully and it's all about co-sleeping. Hi Kat and Sarah and I'm currently co-sleeping with my six-year-old and I love it. However I have a baby on the way and I'm unsure as to what setup will be best to allow us all to feel comfortable and for baby to be safe. Thanks so much. That's great that you have found something so far that's working for you and now you do just need to be aware of the safety. So there are various different options that you can go for. If you and your big one are comfortable in the bed, um, I would probably look and see if you can attach like a um, 
what cat refers to as a sidecar cot um, and have that next to the bed with you. So basically next to me, but have it attached to the cot, which then allows you to feel like you're co-sleeping with baby as well. And as baby grows and gets bigger and stronger, then you might find that you naturally do just want to include them in the co-sleeping arrangement in the bed. What you might find though is that um, as baby's waking up overnight for feeding, that they do start to disturb your six-year-old. So it's going to be a little bit of trial and error and feeling your way for a few months while you work out if actually moving forward co-sleeping is right for you all or if it's a natural time for you to decide that you are going to make changes but certainly initially think from a safety point of view try and keep yourself in between your child and your baby and then have baby in a safe space. Presumably you know when you've been co-sleeping for all that time you don't I don't know it depends you don't really want to suddenly put your six-year-old into a different room when baby arrives because that's going to like really upset the balance, make them feel totally rejected and just compound all those emotions that often go on when a sibling arrives. Definitely. You really want it to be your six-year-old's decision. Um, You know, you can talk to them about why you're having the setup the way it is from a safety point of view. And you can talk about the fact that the baby might be noisy. But I definitely at this point in time would not be suggesting that the older one moves out of the bed, but very much make a nice bedroom available for them if they decide that they want to make that change. So you're putting the ball in their core. And that's easier when you're comfortable with what you're doing. It's a little bit harder if you've made the decision that you want to stop co-sleeping with the six-year-old or the older one um, and they're really not ready. Whereas if you're putting the ball in their court and letting them make the decision, then it is easier and you can make a fuss of them by making a nice bedroom but I would definitely have a space for them available from when from before the baby arrives so that it's not something that you're springing on them once the baby's here but 100% back up the fact that you're not asking them to move out you're just providing them somewhere that they can get away if they want to. What about if Tully thinks that she wants to carry on co-sleeping and then the baby arrives and it's a real struggle because um, the little one is waking up the older one and it's just not got the harmony that it has that she might want to make that decision but then she's in a position where the six-year-old doesn't want to go but it is maybe struggling to I, I don't know how would you deal with it in that circumstance because honestly adding adding a sibling into the mix can be so like stressful for a parent and there's all these feelings of guilt around it as well if you're adding all those feelings to I don't know where I'm really going with that I just I suppose that things that you feel like are working just now might not end up working yeah and I think the thing is that's when you have to be open-minded like it might not it may not be that the six-year-old moves out of the room that you're in just now they might actually end up getting that room and that might have been the mum's room or mum and dad's room they might end up in there on their own so that they're not being disrupted too much, but you might make the decision that you're going to move out with the baby, or you might make the decision that actually, um, you know, the baby's not going to be attached to the bed. It might be in a cot away from the bed. So there's lots of different scenarios. I think in any of these situations, you just have to be a little bit open-minded, think outside the box of how you're going to solve the Mm -hmm. issues, and just be prepared that things are going to change one way or another over the first few months of baby's life. And it can be surprising as well how much older children sleep through 
younger babies or siblings like being awake during the night it's often not until they get quite a bit older I I think that it can start to interrupt them more definitely definitely we talk about that a lot the fact that you know babies eh, big big ones will sleep through a baby's noise and a baby will sleep through a familiar sound and presumably that's also what white noise can be helpful for Mm -hmm. yeah it's not unusual to use white noise for the older ones rather than using it for the baby and parents We hope that helps, Tully. And as ever, if you have a listener question you would like to ask us, send it in to our email, which is hello at thesleepmums.com. Or you can get in touch with us on social media. We are across Instagram, Facebook and TikTok because we're totally down with the kids. <laughs> did, you, did you get YouTube in there? Oh, man, we're on YouTube as well. <laughs> <laughs> Co-sleeping can be a lovely, cosy way for everyone to get some sleep with benefits to parents and child. But it can also mean that you get frog kicked in the stomach, commanded to move over and end up bed hopping in the search for more space. There is no right or wrong answer. Co-sleeping may or may not be for you. And also it may start out being very much for you and then suddenly not be. Or in desperation to get more Zs, You might be a late adopter having said you'd never do it. There are many naysayers, but as you know, we don't do judgments here. Sleep is too personal to let anyone else decide what you should or shouldn't be doing. Having all the information is key to do it safely, to do it happily, and to do it because you want to. And that's okay. We don't need to whisper it. It's not a bad thing. And honestly, you very, very rarely hear about a teenager who still wants to be in your bed. In fact, they probably balk at the thought. (laughs) (laughs) Look after yourselves and sleep soon.